0: Welcome to the Going Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I'm a mother, an author, and an entrepreneur who is committed to and curious about living a life that is always evolving. This is a lifestyle podcast covering health, both body and mind, self-care, why it is a necessity and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship and more. This podcast is a place and a community for people who are willing to do the hard work of growth, who want the tools and inspiration to step into it and who want to grow each and every day of their lives. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Their stories move me and will move you to cultivate more strength and clarity during every step of your day. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for spending time with me at this very special place in my life, over here at the Going Beyond Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here. Those of you that listen on the regular know that I take my role as curator of conversations very, very seriously. And sometimes I bring conversations onto the podcast that are kind of like for my own pleasure. (laughs) And sometimes they're about topics that are near and dear and important to me and that I know we need to give more voice to. And today is one of those kinds of conversations. For those of you that follow me, you know that I am the mom of a family that is mixed. I have a proud, beautiful, mixed family. My husband is black. I have a son and a daughter who are mixed. We are black, white, Jewish. We love embracing all the different parts of who we are. And I discovered in my 10 years with my husband and my eight years of being a mom of mixed kids that I really love to talk about mixed culture, the experience of being mixed in our country and in the world. I think that we can safely agree that it's a conversation that just doesn't get enough voice. Something in our culture says like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone or I don't want to seem ignorant whatever, whatever, I'm just not gonna say anything. And there lies the problem. There's just not enough fluidity to this conversation. And because of that, we just don't have enough compassion, clarity, understanding, or like room to just even get it wrong and then be okay with getting it wrong and then having a better conversation. So that's my speech about why we need to talk about race and politics and being mixed and all this stuff. So for those of you who have also been listening in the past couple of seasons, I did interview my friend Hope McGrath, who is a also proud mixed New Yorker. She has a beautiful mixed daughter and has a super dope podcast called The Radiant Mix Podcast, and I dove into this conversation with her. So when I was lucky enough to get connected to this conversation through a prompt out to a, a mom entrepreneur community I'm part of, I was taken immediately By these two awesome women, Sarah Blanchard and Misasha Graham, who are the co-hosts of the Dear White Women podcast. They do a lot of other things in their lives that they're going to tell us about, um, and I'll give you a little bit of a feeling for who they are. But they created this social justice podcast for busy people who wish that they knew more about race, happiness, history, and current events in the U.S., so basically for everybody. Their personal drive to leave this world a better place for our children became the impetus for this show. And each episode builds on a shared core belief in humanity and in all people, and that we will rise by lifting one another up. I get that, and I agree. That's a huge part of my mission, too. A couple of fun facts about Sarah and me, Sasha. They're best friends. I love that they met walking out of a racial identity conversation at Harvard when they were undergrads. Um, They're both; they both happen to be half white and half Japanese, which I now understand is the term Hapa. I love that term. My dear Eileen, who works closely with me, is also Hapa, so I feel like I'm Hapa by association. Um, so Misasha is married to a black man. She's a lawyer, an amateur historian, and a mega former fitness coach. Okay, we have things to talk about there. And Sarah is married to a white Canadian. She's a life coach, a positive psychology aficionado, and a happiness consultant. I want to know more about that. And together, they have four very mixed-race school-age children. I like the very. And again, like the whole really awesome approach to their podcast is – getting comfortable in what might feel uncomfortable. And I really, really share that mission that we got to sit down and we just got to get messy. And I think that today's conversation is very much going to reflect this shared commitment of talking about the stuff that we might hedge away from, especially when it comes to race. And like, let's just like get into it. And I'm going to welcome listeners to just kind of pay attention to what comes up for you, what questions you have, what might give you a reaction, and maybe like stay away from judgment, but just notice. So here we go. Sarah, me, Sasha, welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. Thanks so much for having us. I'm thrilled. I love that we're sitting here. We are recording. I'm in New York. Sarah is in Denver. And me, Sasha, is in California. And we're about to sit down and have an intimate, meaningful conversation. And like, I just kind of love that we're able to do that.
1: Totally. The upside of technology, right? Huh? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So why don't you each just like give me a brief little like, who are you? Like, what's your background? What's your kind of specialty? And like, what led you? To this conversation, like at this moment in time? I'm Sarah, and I
1: am a lover, I guess. I love people. I operate in emotion and feeling and thriving. And my interest in pursuing stuff in life coaching and the field of happiness really kicked off after my dad died ages ago. And I was like, you know what? We don't live forever. Let's make the most of the world that we have right now, the life that we have. And I basically came to this conversation because of me, Sasha, and who she married. If I'm honest, you know, I grew up mixed race, but didn't appreciate that there was a lot heavier race issues than being half Japanese, half white in this country until that became a conversation we were starting to have every day. And I had to talk to somebody who I love dearly about the concerns she had in her life. And she can tell you about that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. So like, Just to say out loud, Sarah, like so much about this journey of opening up to conversations about race is like, there's your own experience, but then there's like owning and being okay with saying like, there's a whole other experience
1: that I might not know, but I care about. Absolutely. I mean, that's true for everybody. Everybody lives a different, walks a different path. But especially when you have such a history in this country, you know, judging people based on what they look like, you realize you really can't understand someone else's experience unless you talk to them. Right. And so it's important to listen. Right. To just listen.
0: And just so everybody knows, you, Sarah, you're half white, half Japanese. You're married to a white Canadian and you live in Denver. So like your experience is a little bit more whitish.
1: It is. Yes. The opposite (laughs) of the TV show, Blackish. Yes. No, I, I grew up, you know, where I grew up, I grew up in New York and I lived in Tokyo and in Hong Kong and in Brooklyn. Like I lived around a rich culture growing up. And it's been this last decade of my life that I've been sort of immersed in white culture. And it's fascinating for me to notice how much that even changed my perspective. I can tell when I see an Asian person or a black person walking down the street now that I react differently than mm. I used to. And I lived around that all the time. So I feel like I understand viscerally how it's possible that someone who's never seen someone who looks different than them mm. might react because it feels different. Mm. And that's Let's- in my adult years, just watching that. So anyway.
2: Let's come back to that. Sasha. So hi, I'm Sasha, and I am the emotionless robot half of our... <laughs> I say that just to make Sarah laugh, actually. So no, I have feelings too. I just focus a lot on the logic side, being a litigator in intellectual property, so it's super logical. Uh, I also love history, somewhat logical. But yeah, I married a black man who's not only black in this country, but he's black from Louisiana. So that is very different. And we have two boys. And it was really eye-opening for me in sort of a similar way to Sarah because I grew up on the West Coast and sort of spent a lot of time in Asia. And so for me growing up mixed race, my dad is Japanese and, you know, is the only one in his family to come to this country. So I understood what it was like to be mixed race, but I understood that from an Asian white perspective. I didn't really understand the larger issues around race in this country for a long time, actually. And then having met and married my husband, and then going back to Louisiana a lot and having my boys, I started to think about race a lot differently. And Sarah and I started to have these conversations about that. You know, I was just telling her that I was in Louisiana last week and, you know, we were in a room and out of the hundred people in the room, I am the only non-Black person in there. And if you haven't experienced that, it's really hard to understand. I think, and Randy, I don't know if this has been your experience too, I'm sure it has, but that in those moments, you definitely think, we do see race. We do see color in this country and how that is treated. And then when I you know, was walking with groups of my in-laws and how we are treated differently in Louisiana, for example, but I see it in the Bay too. So that has been a process that was really eye-opening for me. And what really made me want to do this work is having my boys. And then as they got older, I started to really think about you know, how are they going to be treated and how are they going to be seen? So they are half black, a quarter Japanese, a quarter white, and... You know, it is my biggest fear, and I say this a lot, that, you know, one day my husband or my boys will walk out of our house and not come back based solely on the color of their skin. And they were in the wrong place and they happened to be wearing a hoodie or they happen to be holding a cap gun or they happen to actually be sitting in our house, you know, and someone comes in and just assumes they're in the wrong house. And that's the society that we live in. And for them, I don't want them to have these fears. And especially, even if that's not feasible, I don't want their children to have these fears. So, but it's hard to understand that visceral fear unless you talk about it and unless you under, you know people or have heard stories about that. Because if that's not your automatic fear for your child, then it's sort of out of sight, out of mind almost in a way. Because there are so many fears we have around kids, and but fearing the loss of a child because of race or because of a characteristic you can't control is, is terrifying, I think. So yep. that's when we really wanted to share this with everyone.
0: I am so glad that you are. I think this is obviously a very timely and powerful, important conversation. I relate to just about everything you just said. It's interesting living in New York City. I do feel like I see a lot of versions of us around, so to speak, but- Not a majority. I mean, we're still kind of exoticized for sure. You definitely get the looks and the curiosity. I don't really mind curiosity, but you know that you're not blending in. And I've become very comfortable with that. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was brought up in a way that was very open-minded to all people. I kind of feel like this was sort of the life that I was kind of meant to. To work toward and be in. I have a lot of experiences of being the only white person in the room. It's not weird to me. And I don't totally know why, but I just know that it's okay for me. We recently went, our nanny is from St. Lucia and we're super close, and her daughter is the same age as our son, and we're like family. And we went to her daughter's birthday party all the way out in Brooklyn. And I took the kids out on the L train and we went all the way out to Canarsie to the last stop and pushed the stroller and went to the house. And I I was the only white person. And these were all her friends and all and nobody could understand like, why is your white boss here? It was like very confusing to them. And then when we left and I was like, okay, we're gonna head back to the L train because it's the easiest and most direct way to get back to our neighborhood in Manhattan. Everybody was like, your boss is getting on the train and going back to Brooklyn, like she doesn't have a car service coming. you know. Some of this bleeds, of course, into perceptions of socioeconomic status. But the distinctions that happen visually and where we find our comfort being different, it's something I've always had a comfort with, but it is something that happens over time. And I think having children in particular is an incredibly powerful runway into having a more heartfelt, compassionate experience of what race
2: really means. I love that because I think that it does bring up a whole, a lot of different ways in which you can have that conversation. And Sarah knows this story. We just did a social studies unit or we, my son, my older son, my second grader did a social studies unit where it was like, we had one sheet of paper and it was sort of saying, okay, fill out your family origin, you know, and talk about all the countries your family's from. And I was like, oh no, we're about to have this really heavy discussion about slavery because we can't trace it back past slavery on my husband's side. But how do you tailor that for a seven-year-old? Because, you know, but at the same time, he's the only part Black kid in his class. And I wanted it to be very open too, that this is part of our family history. This is something that we need to talk about. And maybe this gets the other kids in his class talking too, and in a way that is inclusive, in a way that's understanding, and a way that we can recognize difference, because a lot of the examples that were given were sort of, were from these two European countries. And I was like, so that's not going to be our family. <laughs> so he did write, you know, we cannot, we can trace our family lineage back to Japan, Scotland, and England. On my mother's side, and on my father's side, because of slavery, we can just say Africa. And so I talked to his teacher and I was like, look, he's going to say this. I'm um, just so you know, she's like, fantastic, cool, like, let's do that. So, but these conversations and especially that's why it's so frustrating, I think, to both of us or probably all three of us when people say, I don't see color or, you know, we're post-racial. You know, we don't see that. We do. And we see it in so many ways that we don't even think about maybe as adults, and then you come back to it as children. And Sarah has that story about picking the skin color crayon, you know, and my kids talk about that all the time. They're like, well, I'm kind of light brown, and you, I don't know, you're like light yellow, who knows what that is. But yeah, I think, and we, my boys go to Japanese school, on Fridays after school and we just did a photo session for them in full kimono for 753 which blew everyone the Japan Society people's mind because they're like so these are the kids that are going to be in full kimono I'm like yep let's do this let's um, let's go for it I love it
0: it's like the equivalent of my kids like standing there with the Torah and like reading Hebrew and they're it's like I always say to them I'm like you're the cutest Jews that I know
2: (laughs) But I think it's so great because it challenges people's assumptions and it really gets people thinking in a more inclusive, open fashion. I, I agree. That. Sarah, I have a couple of things to say about like color and seeing color and,
0: mm-hmm. you know, the fact that I think so many other cultures are comfortable with naming. Like I forget exactly what country it is or what language it is, but there are certain cultures where there's like a bajillion names to define different races and different colors. Like it's there's just more language that's available to be used and it's just more permissible. It's just more expressionful. And I love that because here it's just like you're black, you're white, what are you? It's like everyone needs to define this very like hard line. And that's confusing, clearly, is for a little kid who's like, I'm kind of all just me and I'm all these things. But Sarah, I really, really appreciated how you made this distinction between a time when you lived in maybe a more fluidly diverse community. And it was like more normalized and you're like really just being honest and taking note of like when you see less of that, you start to over time have more of a reaction or a feeling. Can you express a little bit more of like what you think that is or how that feels so that people can like maybe reflect on that for themselves?
1: Yeah. I mean, in terms of how it feels, I guess now that I've been in this situation and now with the work we're doing, I feel like I'm coming back to my roots a little bit being able to have these conversations more. But when I wasn't yet doing it and we were living in such white communities for so long, I would, when we moved to Denver, I literally said to my husband, there's two Asian people on our block. Wow. Like I was totally wigging out at how amazing that was. You know, now we're at the stage where we do have friends of all different colors. We actually tend to have more people of color, like male friends than we do women friends, which was another conversation that we've had. Like, why are women less likely to mix in the races? What is that about? But, you know, when I noticed it at first, it was more just like, huh, I noticed that you can see me here, but I'm like, yeah. you just sort of have this bodily sort of pause. I sort of stopped and I was like, what was that about? Mm-hmm. Why did I notice that person or double check, you know, what they were wearing or where they were walking more than this other person, and now me, Sasha, and I joke around. I actually do when I'm in public areas, I actually am a lot more wary of white men with a lot of you know, weaponry or like some marks, but totally, oh, I am too. By the way, yeah, right. Like, I'm like, uh, we were at a coffee shop the other day, and I saw a man in like fake military garb with a pointy holster thing, and I'm like, is that, not, what, is that what is that? And I was on guard, but. Yeah. I've noticed that as we're having these conversations, I don't have that reaction as much at all anymore because it's normalized. It feels like I'm able to talk about race. I'm able to engage in these conversations more. And I talk with my kids. I think that has helped a lot. And they come to me now knowing that it's okay to talk about this. My daughter was in, she's in fifth grade and she was like, mom, do you know that every black boy in our class was called the N-word? And you're like- yeah. I mean, and we're able to engage like and talk about that. There's literally no other word that can cut down a white person the same way that that word can cut down a black person. And I don't know, I feel like the shock is not as much there when I see people who look different than me. And it's more of a celebration as opposed to when I first moved and wasn't having the conversation. And I'm like, whoa, look.
0: I love letting my listeners know about great companies and products doing great work in the world. This month's podcast sponsor is exactly that. Let me introduce you to Real Paper. Real is a tree free bamboo toilet paper that does good and feels good. Real is made out of 100% bamboo because bamboo is soft, strong, and a better sustainable alternative to using virgin trees so no cutting trees down just to wipe your tush plus it is conveniently delivered to your door in plastic free packaging with free shipping reels flexibility allows you to choose the frequency you want it delivered or buy when needed reel also values giving back for every roll purchased it helps fund access to clean toilets for those in need And now you can get $10 off your first subscription order or 20% off your single purchase order using the code BEYOND, capital B-E-Y-O-N-D. Visit realpaper.com, that's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com to shop, do good, feel good with Real. Thanks Real for sponsoring the Going Beyond podcast. Well, this comes back to kind of where I started this conversation, which is like the sheer act of giving airtime to these conversations is probably at least 50% of the battle. I would kind of equate it to, you know, having anxiety or having like something that's kind of like stuck inside of you. And then that ability to talk about it, you know, whether it's with a therapist or whatever format that you do, the sheer act of giving voice like lifts something out of you. And I think that reaction or that question of who someone is or how to sort of organize them in your mind or compartmentalize what they are, it becomes less of a thing when you're just able to talk. You're just able to, you know, give voice. I mean, the kids, I think another theme, like I really heard coming up here, which is so cool and so right on is that, I mean, our kids are, they're our teachers. Like they come into our lives and we're like, okay, like I signed up to basically like guide you in in this life. And because you're here, I'm now asked to step up to the plate and to like really understand somehow this world we're in and then explain it to you. It's kind
1: of brilliant. It's a good tool. And how many people shy away from that though, when their kids ask them a question? Because I think unless you go into it with the mindset of the kids will eventually ask you a question and I'm going to just be cool about it and talk a lot of people take that opportunity. Like you can set the stage and then go, nope, we don't talk about race. You know, if you're not in that mindset yourself as a parent. Yeah. But I really equate it to a lot of stuff. Like remember when my kid was little and we were buying paint at Home Depot and like the world's wrinkliest human being basically walked up next to us and she was sitting on the counter. I mean, like just like a Sharpay on a human, like just (laughs) a wrinkly human being (laughs) waddled over to the paint counter and she's sitting there and she's just like, In the not subtle kid language, mommy, why is that lady so wrinkly? And you're just like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. What am I supposed to say? But in that moment, you just are present and you say, well, people's bodies are all different. And sometimes when you get older, you get more wrinkles. It's just how it is. And the same way you would say about a person in a wheelchair, well, they use that to help them with getting around. Why is that person black? Well, people's skin tones are different. I mean, it's easy to, if you have conversations about any one of those other things you can just do the same thing with race It doesn't have to feel this heavy weight.
0: I totally agree with you. And it's also I think with kids, especially I mean It's funny. We all have kids in a similar age group. It sounds like third fourth fifth grade It's interesting because the conversations get more intense, right? Like they start to ask you more specific questions and you don't know what's gonna jog it like My son has had a very full dialogue from very early on about slavery, about Jim Crow, about Martin Luther King, like that's been part of it. He's been learning Hebrew and Judaism through a very like joyful, you know, experience. But we've never had a talk about the Holocaust that hasn't yet come up. I find that one really sort of intense and complicated to explain because I think of like how just calculated it was at like such a specific point in time. But like, anyway, a movie trailer came up. I don't know if you guys have seen, there's like a movie that's out called Jojo Rabbit. It's almost like a Wes Craven, like a dark comedy kind of thing that it's exploring a story of a little boy who's basically training to be like one of the young Nazis and discovers that his single mom is hiding a little Jewish girl like in their house behind like a bookcase essentially. So we were looking to go to the movies, right? And we're like looking through the top of the movies that are playing and that movie. And of course he sees Jojo Rabbit and he's thinking Peter Rabbit or something. And we look it up and I'm like, that's not what this is. And I'm reading about it. I'm like, is this appropriate for him? And he's reading. So he's like, what is this? And then I I thought to myself, well, I guess we're going to talk about it. We didn't end up seeing the movie because I decided it was just like a little bit too much, but we did have a very basic conversation about the Holocaust and he asked me straight up, did you not want to have this conversation with me? And I said, no, I'm happy to have this conversation with you. I don't overly plan it. When it comes up, I'm here to talk about it. And I think, like that, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say in terms of your kids and these topics on that. Like, sort of like the emotional readiness that we carry to not, you know, hedge away from something when it comes up.
2: That's really interesting. Oh, that's a tough conversation. So it sounds like you handled that really well. Well, I tried.
0: (laughs) I tried to. I don't know if it was perfect, but I did my best.
2: (laughs) I think that from a very early age, we really had been reading books and I made it very sort of my mission to have them have books where the protagonists were different. And so we got really used to talking about race and color and difference early because that was part of my emotional preparation for that is to make sure that we had this foundation that we could build on. So it wasn't suddenly at 10 years old, I was going to be like, so by the way, you're half black, quarter Japanese, quarter white you know, figure that out for yourself. But it's funny because I realized, and as we were talking, you know, it's easier for me to talk to my kids about race and difference than it is about like sex, basically. Because one of my kids was like, did it hurt when I came out of your stomach? Like popped out of it. I'm like, yeah, it did. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) But I'm like, yes, let's dissect, you know, race and color. So um, clearly I have some ways to go. But I think that, you know, your emotional readiness, sometimes you're not going to be ready and you kind of you know, like in that Holocaust moment where you're like, okay, I guess we're going to go for it. But I think kids acknowledge that you're willing to talk about it, even if you, it's not what you want to talk about maybe, and they can read that too, but you're open to talking about it. And the more practice you have doing that, I think the easier it is and the more you're emotionally ready, that it's not like you have to work all this way up each time.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I want to ask you guys some specific questions that have to do with what you're doing. Talk to me a little bit about your goals for this collective work you're doing, this podcast, and why women are so key to this conversation.
2: So I think, you know, some of this stems from, like, we were discussing our children and making this world a better place for our children, a lot of it. But, you know, after the election in 2016, too, we were really motivated by Sort of the negativity and the closing of sort of various eyes and the narrowing of a focus and the narrowing of, you know, what narratives are okay in this country. And so we really wanted to get people talking and thinking about what was really important to them and what were they going to do about it. Because for us, clearly making having empathy be forefront and having everyone recognize the humanity in everyone is our issue. And what we are doing about it is we have this social justice podcast in which we can talk and model the conversations that are tough. And sometimes we say really awkward or difficult things on our podcast um, and we admit, Sarah's raising her hand, and we admit things that, you know, are deep truths to ourselves that we don't necessarily share in conversation, but that need to get out there. And I think that especially starting our podcast when we did in April, you know, we were looking towards the elections in 2020 because we know that it's coming again and the same issues are there and they're even more critical in a lot of ways. So, and, you know, we were looking at women in particular because, you know, for a couple of reasons. One is there was that statistic that came out of 2016 that stated that 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And for us, it was hard to understand in some ways, especially because Trump had come out and, or all the information that we knew about Donald Trump was that he wasn't exactly a fan of women and he's not a fan of women. And in fact, he's pretty aggressively abusive towards women in a lot of ways. So that was hard for us to kind of understand as to the why you would vote against your interest in some ways, right, as a woman. So we were like, there must be other issues out there and there must be other reasons and there must be other narratives. So maybe we can talk about it and maybe we can talk about the issues and maybe we can get people thinking because maybe you voted for... Donald Trump, or you cast your vote for whoever based on taxation or based on immigration. or But for me, I know this is true. I didn't know all the facts about everything. And it's very hard to know all the facts about everything. And we're inundated with so much information that it's really hard to even parse through everything without wanting to bury your head in the sand and be like, I give up. I don't know. This is a hot mess. This is a dumpster fire, which is my favorite word of 2019. But what we're trying to do is break that down. And women are often... You know, we have heard women say like, oh, my husband makes that decision for me. Or, you know, oh, I'm just too busy with everything else. But women are so smart and so powerful. And a lot of what is happening in 2020 and a lot of the key issues heading into the election, for example, directly affect women. So we think women should really be part of the conversation. We want to talk to women. And so that's how we set that up.
1: Sarah, do you want to add into that? Well, and I think on a day-to-day level, because I agree with everything Misasha said, you know, is that even we all hold our spheres of influence as a woman, right? You have women are connectors as a general sort of, societal structure and we have our friends we have book clubs sometimes we are parents we hold space for our spouses to talk to us you know there's so much influence that we wield that we don't even know about and we we vote with our wallets like where we put our money to buy things for our families to buy gifts for one another there's so many ways that we influence our circles and i don't want us to underestimate the power that women have so there's that side of it as well mm. Yeah. So how do we
0: bridge this gap? Like that's the thing that I think people feel so powerless about right now. The extremes and perspectives are major and it doesn't even feel like there's, I mean, and this is why I love your podcast and I so am an advocate for the spirit of what you're doing, which is like, let's just get into a pool of talking about it and be comfortable just getting messy with it. But where is the bridge? How does someone, you know, who like us, who, you know, we have certain perspectives. Talk to somebody who might be like on a far opposite, you know, a level of things. Like, where do we find that common ground? And I can't answer that, which is, I think, where we feel so powerless right now.
1: I think some of it is doing, you know, when we have interracial conversations, we're often told as the white person, you should just shut up and listen sometimes to the perspective of someone who's not in the majority. I think that can apply if you're talking to someone who has different thoughts about the same issue. So say you care heavily about women's rights, you know, and you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand that, hearing their perspective and asking them to hear your perspective and just being quiet and listening in order to find what it is. Because people always have some intention, Something it's important to them for a reason. So to figure that out sort of highlights the humanity, at least, in the other person. And so I think sometimes it just takes that humility to just stop and listen, ask the question and stop and listen respectfully.
0: I agree i think it's difficult because we have these kind of inflammatory platforms like facebook where these wars happen and people just start to you know curse each other out or like block each other if there's different perspectives and just feels it feels like a war ground
2: i agree well and i think that this is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast is our natural human reaction especially when confronted with Different opinions than our own is to get really defensive. And it's sort of like having a different opinion is a personal attack on what you believe. And I think that while that is a natural human reaction, that's very difficult to have a conversation that's positive or that, you know, feels like you're moving the needle with you, with someone else, with your own thoughts if you're so worried about what that other person is saying and how that, you know, reflects on you kind of. So as hard as it is when you're getting into these conversations and trying to bridge that gap, like to take that defensiveness that you're naturally going to feel, acknowledge it and then sort of put it to the side so that you can really hear what the other person is saying. I think that's key as well.
0: I'm not trying to say that we're better than anyone else because we have mixed homes, But something just came up for me when you guys were just talking, which is that this whole idea of being able to step out of what you think is right and actually pause and invite the humanity in and to listen. I'm realizing, we're sitting here and reflecting that that is a skill that exists in a mixed household. I think
2: so. I mean, I think you naturally come in, and it's interesting when people ask me why I, you know, was attracted to my husband. One of the reasons is that he exists in two different narratives. Like he has the American experience, but he has the black American experience, which is distinctly different, Different. right? And I understood that as well, because I have the American experience, but I also had, you know, the immigrant father, mixed race experience in the United States. So I think that when you live and when you're sort of given two or more narratives to start with, and then you blend that into a family where now you've got multiple narratives here, you automatically have different points of view from the start. So you And in order to make a marriage work, make a family work, you have to be open to listen to that. So I I think you have a point there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that's been extremely humbling for me in my marriage is to listen and to own that there are certain things that I can only imagine what it feels like, but there's no way that I could ever really relate. You know, I'm not a person of dark skin. I can relate as being a female, as being a Jew to what it means to be a minority in certain respects. But the skin color thing is real, especially in our country. And I think it's incredibly powerful and humbling to say, I hear you. I can't. Imagine, and you're right, that's not what I experience on a daily basis. I have a hard time, and people in my life have tried to compare the Black experience in America and the Jewish experience. And while anti Semitism is on the rise for sure, we can't totally equate it because we don't typically have dark skin as Jews, although I'm making some over here. but you know I think we have to be I'm just highlighting because we have a very unique conversation going on here, which is like three women in you know mixed families, a commitment towards just opening up this conversation that one of the beauties of a mixed household is you have no choice but to listen to a narrative that is
1: just inherently different than your own. And that's not to say that if you don't come from a mixed house, you can't because you can't have that perspective. Cause Absolutely. Of course. And, you know, I think it's almost like if you ever practice in a marriage, you know, say somebody was raised by a single mother and you were raised by both parents, or, you know, someone was in a divorce and then has a second marriage. You know, whenever we decide to respect somebody, you can hear their perspective. And I think maybe it's that choice of deciding to respect them. And Misasha and I always say, Change comes from that moment of silence where you talk to yourself and make the decision to change. So you need to like internally make the choice to respect the other person first. And it kind of detaches your personal feeling from it a little bit too, because then you're seeing them for themselves as opposed to what they mean to you. Yeah. Does that make sense at all? I don't know if I'm
0: Totally. To it me. makes okay. total sense to me. I want to ask you, each of you, someone's going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to be like, that sounds great. I'd love to be more open-minded. I'd love to be more comfortable in these discussions. What would be one tangible tip that you can give that person to begin interacting that way? Is it an action? Is it something to read? Is it what? What would be like one thing you can do to start to like open up to that concept more in your
1: life? Listen I mean, to your I podcast. Feel like that, I was, yeah, listen to the podcast because we definitely <laughs> have these conversations all the time. And we always come up with more resources. I feel like the more we've been engaged in the conversation, the more and more and more I see different narratives. There's so many TED Talks out there that we could recommend. You know, there's so many books. There's books you can buy for your kids. There's so many easy ways to enter the conversation that I guess the advice would be don't think it's that big of a deal. Just try.
0: Yeah. Find some resources, listen to some podcasts, grab some books, watch the TED Talks,
1: don't make it so hard, just start. Yeah. And honestly, if anybody does have questions who is listening, tell them to feel free to reach out to us because we can send a whole bunch of resources over.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe what we'll do in the show notes is you guys can send us a couple of your favorite go-tos and we can post them in the show notes so people can You know, click on things. Fantastic. Miss Sasha, what would be
2: like a tip from your angle? I think that, so I am super type A and want to be super prepared about everything. But some of, and the magic and the beauty of these conversations is the organic nature of them. So if you, and i am naturally also somewhat introverted so it takes a lot for me to go up to someone and ask them a question so you know but in the spirit of doing that and since we've been doing this work i'm much more open about you know not shying away from that conversation especially with friends you can start with friends it's not you don't have to be like fully accosting someone on the street and being like i've got so many questions like please which i have actually jumped in front of people before but that i think Just having, just starting, just really, like Sarah said, don't overthink it, but resources are great. And if you're a planner like me, maybe you want to read up on everything too, but sometimes you just have that moment. And if you overthink it, you're going to lose it. So just ask that question, you know, have that conversation, respond or... Just do that, follow your gut on that.
0: I love that. So, what's next for the Dear White Women podcast and the work that the two of you are doing together? We are
2: super excited because we have been working towards a whole election boot camp. So, starting this week, I think today. Well, we're recording yes. this
0: in the month of November, it's probably going to air yes. in the new year. So we are probably
2: deep into our election (laughs) (laughs) issues. And what we've done is we've picked some of the issues that we think are really important in the election. And we're taking listener feedback too for, you know, other ones. So when we're trying to break them down, like, why is this a big issue? Why is it a systemic issue in the United States? Like, what can we do about it too? And if this is an issue that's important to you, what are you going to do about it? So we've really set our programming through March, basically, to really focus on and leading up to the start of the primaries. And in various states, to really focus on breaking down those issues, making it easy for you to understand, but really starting to get you thinking as November is coming sooner than we think.
1: Well, and I think the key is get you thinking about the issues. It's not so much the political game. It's not a party or affiliation, but it's about things that affect our day-to-day lives. The issues really is the focus of this. So I think that's where it's different.
0: Well, that makes me feel happy because I, again, like so many of us are so overwhelmed that to have what I would call a safe, inclusive space, like you two are creating on this podcast is so amazing to be able to go and listen and like remind yourself, what are the issues? How can I think about them? Here's two working women, two moms who can come at this and kind of digest it and we can all think it through. That's exciting to me. So- I'm really excited to hear that that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So tell everybody exactly where to find you guys on you know every platform that matters and how they can engage.
1: All right. Well, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find Dear White Women. And if you're looking on a computer or on your phone, you can find all of our episodes and information about us at dearwhitewomen.com. And in terms of social, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Women Podcast. We're on Twitter at DWW Podcast. You can email us. We've got a lot of listener feedback through our email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com, or you can reach us through the website as well. Awesome.
0: So I just want to close our conversation today by something that we do have to kind of like say goodbye in a moment. But I think the main thing that I just really want to highlight here and is so in the spirit of what you both are doing, and I'm so super grateful that you are, has to do with the title of your podcast, Dear White Women. And while we can sometimes have that reaction and like we're being really open here about reactions that we might have that have to do with oh my God, she's calling out white women, or why are they saying white women? And I just want to call out to all of you listening that we believe, me, Sarah, me, Sasha, and a lot of the people that are listening to us, that we must feel comfortable calling out color, calling out differences, calling out who we are, what we are, in order to start having a more fluid, open, compassionate conversation. So That is truly the theme of why the three of us decided to hop on this conversation today, why these amazing women started this podcast and have such a commitment to make time in their life to curate this level of conversation. So do not shy away from calling a woman white or black or Hapa or Jewish or mixed in every way and you're not really sure what they are and that's okay. This is important because this is what it means to be a part of humanity. So that's my speech. Sarah, Misasha, you guys are amazing. I'm really excited that I know you now and I'm excited to promote your podcast just through this conversation. And I hope that we can do this again. Maybe I'll come into your podcast.
1: That sounds fantastic. I feel like our family just expanded along these conversation lines. So thank you so much for having us.
0: Yes. Thank you. This has
1: been amazing.
0: Oh, you guys are incredible. And this is what this podcast is all about. It's making friends and family across state lines, across country lines. We are using technology at its best to talk regardless of where we are. And I'm really grateful to all of you who listen to this conversation. If you feel like this is a conversation that's necessary, I hope you do, then share it. Share it on your social media platforms. Share it with your friends and family. Give this podcast some love. I appreciate it. You are the reason that this podcast is growing and I don't take that lightly. So continue to take care of yourself. Continue to push your own envelope and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.